What's going on, guys? Hostile Q&A number 11, part two. And we are back, and I wanted to say thank you guys for all the comments. I try to answer your questions the best I can. It's all just from my own experience, so I don't claim to be a doctor or a scientist or any of that. This is just from my own bodybuilding experience for the last 20 years. So anyway, we're going to get into some more Q&As, and because there's like 300 questions on that post. So I'm just going to keep on answering the questions and try and get through most of them. I have my clock set to one hour because I have to be somewhere uh, shortly after that. So I'm going to do an hour worth of questions and try and get through as many as possible. So let's get started. Okay. First question is from Jordan XNJ says, Fuad Abiyad, best training style, whole cutting, volume or heavy? PS, love your channel and content. Keep up the G work. Thanks, guys, for watching. Thank you, Jordan, for watching. I'm not sure what a whole cutting style is, but if you're asking what the best training is, volume or heavy, there is no such thing. <clears throat> and people are going <clears> to <throat> be shocked by my answer because they want to know, well, what's the best training style? You know, you, there has to be a best, but there doesn't. Because of the nice thing about bodybuilding, the beautiful thing about bodybuilding, and I always talk about the beauties of bodybuilding, one of them is, there is no best training style. Uh, you can find someone like uh, Jordan Peters or James Hollingshead or uh, that will probably train uh, push-pull legs. They're on that kind of split, and they're massive. They've gained tons of muscle. Um, James is a great pro. And uh, Jordan has built a brutal physique uh, that's incredible. So that style obviously works. Um, if you take somebody like Luke – Luke trains four days a week and he trains very high volume uh, or sorry, very high intensity style with a heavy, heavy weight and a low volume. And if you take somebody like myself or Seth Ferrosi or Jay Cutler, you're looking at somebody, people who train with tons of volume, lots and lots of sets, uh, maybe five, six days a week sometimes. And um, it works for us. So there is not really any, best training. What I suggest to most people is you do something for four to six weeks, maybe eight weeks, maybe even 12 weeks. And you see how you like it. How's your body responding? How's the muscle responding? How is your recovery? How are your joints? Are you sore? Are you not sore? Um, are you achy? Are you Is it causing you injuries? And if you do that for 12 weeks and if you notice great, great results, you stick to it. When, you're, when your results plateau, then you can say, okay, you know what? Maybe I want to try something. I'll see how the results go that way. So if you've done high volume for six months, you've done it for a year, your results have kind of stag become stagnant, you might want to make some changes. You might want to say, okay, you know what? I'm going to do low volume for the next three months or two months or one month even and see what my progress is like. If, you, if your progress has resumed, you can say, okay, I think my body just needed a little less volume, a little bit more rest, a little bit heavier weights. And I, I feel like I'm growing again. And I, in, in my case, what I would do is stick with that for as long as I could. And if I start to plateau again from that, then I might switch back. That's And then eventually, after doing that for enough times, you're going to say, okay, I recognize that my body wor works better with this style of training better than that style of training. Or sometimes it's not even what the best progress is. Sometimes, surprisingly, and most of you guys will be surprised to hear this, Sometimes it's what you like. I may gain a few more pounds of muscle doing low volume, but I like training high volume. It feels good to me. I feel good in the gym. I like getting after it. I like going fast. I take short rest breaks. There, it's not always about what's best. Sometimes it is, and, and I, I, I do want to say that that's really what you want to look for is what's best, but you also have to have fun doing it. This is Remember, this is a lifestyle. This is a lifestyle. It's a career. If, you, if you're out there trying to make a career of it, it's something you're going to do for a really long time. If you just want to look great for a really long time, it's going to be, take a long time. And if you just want to, if you want to make it a career, it's going to take a really long time. So no matter, no matter how you look at it, it's something you're in for the long haul. So if you're doing a style of training that somebody says works, but you're hating it, I don't suggest sticking to it because you're not going to stick to it invariably. You're going to want to switch. You're going to want to quit. So find the training style that you like the best that also is giving you the results you need. And that's your training style. Next question from hockey, two, six, eight, 300, 300 says, what's the lowest 
in calories and carbs do you recommend for the last four weeks on a cut for a 200 pound guy who is 14% body fat cutting the last eight weeks? This is very, very specific, but the problem with these types of questions is without knowing the rest of your program, like the, the way you cut your carbs is going to depend on how much fat you're eating, how much protein you're eating, um, how often you train, how much cardio you're doing. This is why I feel like people, this is, this kind of question is for somebody who needs a coach because I can tell you, I'll cut your carbs down to hundred grams. But if you're only eating 50 grams of fat a day and you're only eating uh, 150 grams of protein, you're just going to, your body's just going to dissolve. You're going to lose muscle. You're going to lose fat. You're going to lose everything. Now, if you're eating 400 grams of protein and you're eating 150 grams of fat, then you can probably lower your fats to hundred grams and get away with it and probably lose weight. But it's all very, it's very dependent on so many variables, like how often you train, how much cardio you're doing. It's a little bit harder to get into that kind of question. Jack TSE says, how prevalent are sight enhancers in today's bodybuilding? Uh, very, very prevalent. Um, I don't think that, I used to have a very hard stance against sight enhancing. Uh, oils like synthol and um, pump and pose and this type of stuff. I feel like you can't put those type of enhancement oils will not do anything to a chest or a back or quads or like a really big body parts that are really going to make the difference in the physique. You can't, you can't really inject enough oil into your quads to give yourself a really nice sweep. You can do it and you'll end up lumpy and people will know and it'll look stupid, but to actually give yourself a nice sweep, you can't really do it with an oil. Now, smaller body body parts. Sure. You can, Round out your delts a little bit. You round out your biceps. You can make your triceps look a little fuller. That's fine. But I don't think anybody's winning any shows with great arms at the, at the lack of everything else. So like if somebody has a great arms and they have a really shit back, you're probably not going to win a show over somebody who has a great back. So I feel like the sight enhancement thing I've kind of let go of because, you know, at best you're growing, you're going to round out your arms a little bit, maybe your calves. And if you do too much of it, you have really shit arms or and really shit calves and you do too much of it, it's going to look lumpy and you're going to get downgraded for it. So at best you can only round out the muscle. You're not going to grow new muscle or, or make your shitty biceps look amazing. It's going to make a, a good bicep a little better, which in that case, I don't really care. Uh, to me personally, it, it's not an issue. Uh, FDB four, five, two, three says, how did your family and friends feel when you said you wanted to be a bodybuilder? Were you nervous or scared when you started? Uh, I'm a very stubborn person and I kind of had already decided, uh, I kind of knew, I knew when I went in the gym, it was something that felt really good. I knew it was something I wanted to do. I didn't know I wanted to be a pro. I just knew I wanted to do a show and I really knew I wanted to give it my all. I really, really wanted to commit to it. Nothing was going to take me off that path. Looking back now, I had my mind set, like I said, not to be a professional, but I had my mind set that I loved going to the gym. I was going to go to the gym every day. I wanted to learn about this thing called nutrition. I wanted to learn about uh, how to change my body. I wanted to learn how to look good. I wanted to learn and see how far I could go competitively. And nothing was really going to change my mind. So when I told my family, my parents didn't really know too much about it. They just, you know, my father was always the kind of person who was like, if you're going to do something, do it to your best of your abilities and don't fuck around. And that's kind of the same expression I got from him at the time. Um, my other brothers and my sister were just like, look, just be careful. Just have fun. Do it your best. My one brother who was probably the, who was looking out for me, tried to tell me not to do it. He was like, don't do it. There's not a lot of money in it. It's not healthy. I was doing some photo shoots at the time. He was like, why don't you just keep doing photo shoots and do the model thing? And uh, it wasn't for me. I just, that, that's, that wasn't my passion. My passion was really building my body and seeing how far I could take it. So I ignored him and he actually came years later to support me and start coming to my shows. And nobody in my family was really adamant. Like we're never going to talk to you again if you do this or my family are, even though they can be judgmental, uh, are very, very understanding people and always are very supportive. So um, I think when they realized it was a real thing and I'd won a couple shows and I wanted to be a professional and I started making money, uh, they really started to support me. And, and uh, you know, they always say, you know, be careful, take care of yourself. Don't, you know, make sure you get your blood work. And But they 
ultimately support what I'm doing. So, um, as far as nervous or scared, uh, and uh, sorry, as, as go, as for my friends, I had a really good support group with friends because all of my friends were competing at the time. So we call it kind of all trained and ate together and it just, I kind of all grew together at the same time. And as far as being nervous or scared, I still get nervous and scared. If you don't get nervous and scared when you go on stage, you're either very, very, very confident to the point where you are extremely sure of yourself, which is rare because I feel like everybody gets nervous um, or you uh, don't care. And that's why I see, that's why I say everybody gets nervous because everybody who goes on stage at our level who, who, or any level, anybody who goes on stage and wants to win, usually when you go on stage as a bodybuilder or any type of competitor, you want to present the best version of yourself. And that's scary. And it's nerve wracking. And it's like, oh my God, all these people are going to judge me. All these people are going to look at me and say, this guy's shit. This guy's not shit. There's like a lot of it, a lot of your self-worth is riding on this show all of a sudden. So uh, even at, even at 40, if I compete, I if I compete next spring in 2020, I will be nervous. I will be nervous to get, and obviously not as nervous as, you know, 2005 because I don't have anything to prove anymore, but I will still be nervous because I'm trying to present the best package I could possibly present. And I don't want to embarrass myself on stage. So those are always nerve wracking things to think about. Mike B Ford one, two, three says opinion on Cedric continuing to compete after already qualifying. Uh, I think it's great. Why not? You know, a lot of, there's this whole, like, uh, why are you running up the score kind of attitude? And it's like, look, man, this is a business. Number one. Okay. There's a couple things. Number one, it's a business. We're trying to make money. Like these are our careers. Cedric's going to go out. He's going to walk away with the first place trophy. He's going to walk away with 10 grand and potentially a bonus. Cause most of us have in our contracts, uh, a, a bonus match. So most companies that you sign with will have a, uh, a bonus structure in your contract that says, we'll give you X amount of dollars. If you win, some people match the winnings, some companies match the winnings, some companies give a little less, whatever it is. So potentially he could go out there and win the 10 grand for the show or the 12 grand for the show and then get a match from the company. It's another 10 or 12 grand. So you're going out there, you're coming home with $25,000, $20,000, whatever it is. It's a good chunk of money. It's a good chunk of money, especially when you know you're going to win, right? Your flight is paid for by the sponsor and your hotel is paid for by the sponsor. Your food is paid for by the sponsor. Usually if you have a good contract, you're going to go out there, you're going to win. You're going to collect your check. You're going to collect your bonus check. You're going to come home, come back to your kids and buy your kids food, buy your kids clothing, buy your kids whatever they want because you went out to compete. So I feel like fans sometimes forget that this, these are also our careers. And this is how we make money. And if, if you're in Cedric's position where you can knock out a few small shows easily, why not? You know what I mean? That's, that's a check and you're, you know, you're not, you're sure you're taking a check from somebody else, but I have the right to that check just as much as anybody else. I'm a professional bodybuilder. I can compete at every single show in the year if I want, even if I win all of them. Um, so I see nothing wrong with that. Uh, secondly, Cedric, I have spoken to him about this, has another reason for it. Cedric is trying to master his physique. Cedric coaches himself and he is trying to master how to peak for a show properly and come in full and dry. And as we all know, he's had some issues with it here and there. Sometimes he comes in and, you know, hundred percent, sometimes he comes in 90%. Um, so he's trying to learn how to nail that every time. And he told me I want, he wanted to keep doing every show just to, just to kind of get that approach down and figure it out for himself. In, in both cases, whether it's business or whether it's trying to figure out your path, I agree with him 100%. And if I were him, I would do, if I were in his shoes, I would do the exact same thing. Uh, so you want to get fit, says, I love getting a huge pump. What are the best things you can do to do pre-workout to achieve the best pump possible throughout your workout besides taking a vasodilator? Um. Thanks, Fuad. Hello from Montreal. Can't wait to try your subs. Thank you. And my supplements will get you the best pump possible. No, I'm just fucking around. <laughs> um, okay, so aside from taking a great pre-workout that's fully dosed, my opinion is this. A lot of people eat too much before training. Uh, I don't nec- I'm not necessarily saying go fasted, 
but I'm saying my pre-workout meal, a lot of people think their pre-workout meal has to be their biggest meal of the day other than maybe their post-workout meal. And I actually am of the opposite thinking. I like my pre-workout meal to be the smallest meal of my day. So I work out usually after two meals. So my first meal, my breakfast is usually really big. My second meal, my pre-workout meal is usually very small. So it'll be like one cup of rice and six ounces of chicken. To me, that's a small meal. To somebody else, it might not be, but to scale, for me, that's a small meal. So I feel like people ruin their pumps sometimes when they eat a lot of fat because fat is hard, harder, takes longer to digest. So I try not to eat a lot of fat in my pre-workout meal. I want to have a little bit because I don't, if I eat just chicken and rice, my body will burn through it really quickly and my pump won't be as, it won't stick for better lack of a term. Okay. So the way to make it stick is I add a little bit of fat. Now I, I want fat that's going to digest quickly. So my favorite is usually chicken, six ounces of chicken, one cup of rice and a teaspoon or a tablespoon of coconut oil. Coconut oil for me digests really quickly. It doesn't seem to sit in my gut for a really long time, but it also prolongs the digestion of the rice enough that I can get it through the workout and it's making, it's fueling my workout properly. So you're not eating way, way too much, but you're not eating like a little bird either. It's like just a small meal with enough of each macronutrient to keep your workout fueled. Now, the reason I say that is you don't want to eat like a really high fat meal or a really heavy, heavy meal or a really big, big meal, because when you go train, if you go train like an hour later, your body's still going to be processing that food. And you can't possibly get a great pump if there's your stomach is bloated and your body's systems are working on digesting that food. That's why some people claim when they train fasted, they have really, really great pumps because their body is just ready to send blood and, well, there's no nutrients, but ready to send blood and everything to the muscle. There's nothing working on breaking down food in the stomach and all that. So the happy medium for me is smaller meal about an hour to an hour and a half before, uh, 20 minutes before I train, I have my pre-workout meet pre-workout sh- shake or drink. And then I have an intra workout that has a small amount of carbs in it. Now hostile supplements is coming out with an intra workout that has your essential aminos in it. Plus a small amount of carbs. I don't like doing too much. We have 25 grams. We, I feel like it's perfect because of that crash I was talking about earlier. Sometimes if you have the rice and the chicken and, and it burns through your body too quickly, your pump could suffer. Now, if you take the intra workout, you have 25 grams of carbs in there. It's kind of going to keep replenishing those glycogen stores. One, to help you recover uh, faster because you're replenishing glycogen stores as they're burning out. But two, also to increase your pump and enhance your pump because there's going to be carbs flowing through your body. So those are a couple different ways you can change things that if, if, you're pump, if, you're not, if you're not achieving the pump you want to achieve, take a look at those two factors. And the third thing, make sure you're eating enough salt. A lot of people don't. Uh, we actually have salt in our pre-workout, but I also, uh, in my pre-workout meal, I make sure it's heavily salted and it always pays off workout-wise. I always advocate that. A lot of people who don't eat salt or are scared of salt don't really get the pumps they want to get. Make sure your pre-workout, I would suggest having an even amount of salt through all your meals, but Make sure your pre-workout, pre-workout meal has uh, salt in it because that will help you when you're training. Bobby Guns Muscle Inc. CEO says, do you see the gym industry changing in the near future where there will be resurgence of slightly smaller boutique gyms that cater to more serious people? Uh, example, Pure Muscle and Fitness, Iron Culture, New Jersey, and of course, Team Muscle Inc. Um, yeah, I don't see why not. I mean... Look, I definitely think it's important to have those gyms. And I think everybody, not everybody's going to want to go there. They're not going to be super popular, but if they're smaller gyms, then they'll be able to capture three, four, 500 members and keep their doors open and make money. Um, it's hard for me to answer for everybody. For me personally, for bodybuilders, I definitely think it's a good thing because a lot of bodybuilders are getting sick of going to uh, LA fitness or good life or any of these huge big box gyms that, that won't let you uh, deadlift or they won't let you use chalk or they won't let you fucking grunt or, you know, we just all feel out of place, right? Those are for like the normal person that 
just wants to go and have a fun workout and leave. And they're not kind of for us more serious lifters. So it's nice to have gyms like Pure Muscle and Fitness that we can go to and we can use chalk and we can deadlift heavy weight and we can squat and we can grunt and we can sweat all over everything, you know, wipe it down after obviously, but like we can go and, and train the way we want to train to really beat the shit out of our bodies is what we're doing. And then it's our place. It kind of feels like you're at home. You don't feel like you're ruining anything. I mean, you can do that at other gyms, right? I've done it at big box gyms, but you always feel like, eh, they don't really want me here. So, um, yeah, I do think people are starting to see that there are, there is a market for a smaller gym that's catered to either a hardcore market or a CrossFit market or, you know, there's all different types of little niches within the health and fitness industry. And I think people are realizing that if they open a smaller gym, they can fill it with those types of small niches. So uh, I do think it'll be more popular moving forward because not everybody wants to belong to a big box gym and just kind of do what everybody else does. So uh, yeah, no, I think it's a good thing. Jay Roher says, to what extent do you think we should make decisions based on research? from novices to love to, to top level bodybuilding. This is a good question. I, um, I think science and research is very important. I think it gives us a really, really good baseline for our thinking. And the reason I say a baseline is I also think experience is very, very important. And sometimes not everything in science translates to the gym floor. Uh, for example, I'll give you guys an example and, you know, some people get fire back, but this is just my own experience. For example, I saw a study recently said that you don't have to train failure to failure to gain muscle. And I do agree with that. You don't, you can, you can train, you know, if failure is uh four Oh five for 10 reps on a bench, you could do three fifteen for 12 reps. Uh, and that might not be failure and you're still going to develop a great chest. But if we're talking about, breaking your genetic potential, like going past your genetic potential. If we're talking about breaking plateaus, if we're talking about building the most amount of muscle, the fastest way possible, I have a different opinion than that study. My opinion is failure is the way to go. You have to train to failure. And that's like the same thing as progressive overload and all the, they all they're based on training to failure. And for someone to say, well, we did a study that said you can build the same amount of muscle with, you know, three plates rather, rather than doing four plates. I would say to them, okay, maybe you can build muscle with 315 instead of 405, but am I going to build more muscle faster? And if they say no again, I would say, what about when your body has, has adapted to 315? Then what? Like, what if, what if, 315 for 10 is, is like 85% of your max is for failure, not just for one rep. And you keep doing that and keep doing that and keep doing that and keep doing that. How is your chest ever going to grow past a certain point? It'll grow to a certain point, but when it gets there, how is it ever going to get better? So that's where I feel like you need to go to failure. So you need to go to 315, maybe you go to 365, maybe you go to 405, maybe, maybe you do 315 for 15 reps instead of 10 whatever the case may be, you've got to push to the failure limit. And I feel like that's what breaks plateaus and that's what creates more muscle when your body is stuck. And like I said, I also feel like it's the fastest way. So I'm just using that as an example. That's a whole other debate. I'm sure other people have other opinions about it, but there are lots of scenarios I've come across. Okay. I'll give you guys a gear one. So like if you take GH, for example, the studies would show that taking GH in the morning is the best time because your cortisol is at its highest level when you wake up. So you want to take GH to blunt the cortisol and to get your body going in the, in a muscle building process. Right. But I've noticed better results in taking GH at night before bed. So how does that, how do we quantify that? Do you understand? Like, how do we, how do those two meet up? So it's just, I feel like research is very important because there more times than not, it helps, especially with nutrition. I, I like to know what, all the studies say about nutrition, about carbs and proteins and fats and getting them in and timing and everything. And there's so many different studies you can kind of pick and choose which one you want, but you want obviously want to pick the ones that have the most research behind them. But 
um, like I said, even though I feel like, like another study shows, for example, you can eat one meal a day. If you're, let's say you're eating 5,000 calories a day. If you eat those calories all in one meal, you're going to gain the same amount of muscle as if you ate them all in six meals and broke it all up all among six meals. And I'm sorry, but I've tried, I've kind of tried that and it doesn't, it doesn't translate. The smaller meals every two to three hours has been proven to work. And it, to me, where it has worked better than any other system that is out there. And, I'm, and like I said, you got to remember, I'm talking in terms of building the maximum amount of muscle. I'm not talking about just losing some fat. I'm not talking about just looking good. I'm not talking about like, you know, having a beach body. I'm talking about building the maximum amount of muscle the fastest way possible. That means if you want to get from 180 to 200 pounds, what is the fastest way to get there? And the research is very important and it gives us a baseline, but there are things that have been proven through decades of bodybuilding to work. And I can't seem to uh, get away from those, I guess is what I'm trying to say. You have to, we kind of have to always uh, keep in mind that these things have been done for generations for a reason. And it's not just because nobody could figure it out any other way. People try other things and they just don't work as well. So um, that's kind of my thoughts on that. I lost my place here. Let me see here. Okay. So William Garris says best meal in your opinion to replace oatmeal. Cream of rice. Uh, a lot of bodybuilders eat cream of rice. It digests a little better than uh, oatmeal. It has less fat. There's a lot of different. Now, oatmeal is good in its own right because it has fiber and all these other things. But if you're just looking for a comparative food that will get you the same amount of macros, it kind of feels the same to eat, I would go with cream of rice. Uh, hockey. No, you already already got one in here from you so we're going to skip that one tom williams 1205 says do you know where you will be distributing the new supplements i.e just u.s europe etc or staggered release can't wait okay so this is kind of a tough question so we're going to be direct to consumer from our website and we have a fulfillment center in the u.s that will provide shipping to most of the world i believe but as we see how the product launches we're going to decide where the distributors will be. So it'll be a staggered kind of, it'll be released to everybody, but it'll be more accessible as we see how the company's going to grow. If, if we open the doors and it kind of takes off like a rocket, then we're probably going to end up having distributors and fulfillment centers in other parts of the world to help us get the product out faster for customers. If the, we open the doors and it's a slow growth and, you know, things are kind of trail, trailing along and people are getting, you know, to get the word out, then we're probably going to stay direct to consumer for a little while until we see how, until we see things expand. So it's all going to be determined by the first couple months, first three, four months and how things go. And then we're going to kind of have to adjust and shift on the fly as we go. The Prince Roy says, Hey, Fuad, your channel and content are tops. Thank you. My question, what do you believe is the optimal body weight? You obviously can't stay at 280 pounds forever. Even if you continue to, going to the gym um what is the what is your optimal oh i see i'm sorry i thought you're asking what people's optimal body my optimal body weight uh when i'm done bodybuilding i hope to stay around 230 240 uh you're right you can't stay at 280 forever i'm actually really comfortable right now i don't feel like i'm big uh i know that sounds weird to a lot of people but uh, i'm used to being closer to 300 pounds so 275 to 280 is like feels a little easy. It actually feels very easy to manage, but it's still too big for health reasons. So if I'm not going to compete anymore, I'll probably kind of cut down to 250, 240 and just stay in great shape at that point. And then um, I don't really want to get any smaller. If I get to 220, 230, that's okay. I, I, I just like to remain athletic looking. I'd like to still remain looking like a bodybuilder. Um, but you're right. 280 is too much. If I do compete in the spring, though, uh, I will stay at 280, 300 till I will stay around 280, 300 until I'm done competing. Once I'm done competing, like I said, 240, the 240 range looks good for me. Best workout for fat burn. I have a decent amount of muscle, but I need to drop about 20 pounds of fat. And what should I 
what should diet be like current 511 guys this is like a full program question the best workout for fat burn is the one that gets your ass to the gym every single day and pushes you the hardest okay there's no such thing as the best workout for fat burn going to train train to failure train your fucking ass off that's the best workout for fat burn okay fat burn is not made is not created in the gym if you want to burn fat that's your diet you got to get your diet right now you ask also what should your diet be like I'll, I'll give you a vague answer since it's a vague question. 20, uh, 40, 40, 20 split works protein, carbs, and fat break them up that way. Find out your cal- caloric needs for the day and create your diet is you can't, this is guys, this is a very specific Q and a, I can't really do a full program, uh, on video right now. So if you're going to ask questions, I'm happy to answer them, but they got to be more specific I, or, and if they're this vague, or this expansive, you need to hire a coach that can create you a, a diet and a program. Probably never change says simple ways to cut fat and build muscle at the same time. Carb cycle. This, the, in my opinion, the best way to um, burn fat and build muscle, or at least keep your muscle at the same time is to carb cycle. Give yourself a high, low and a medium day to break it up. I would say your heaviest, Heaviest uh, training days, your back and your legs, for example, those would be your highest, cal- highest calorie days. Okay. And then you do two or three moderate days and then your rest days, usually if you're training five days a week, right? Your two rest days will be your lowest, lowest calorie days. Okay. So that's really the easiest way. And your lowest calorie days would be a deficit. Your moderate days would be even with your uh, caloric needs or a little above. And then your highest days, your highest carb days on your quads and your back day would be your highest calorie days and, and, and a little bit more excessive surplus. And I feel like that would keep you in shape as long as it was all clean food. And if it still wasn't, I would add in a little bit of cardio every day. But I feel like as long as you're eating all clean food and all like a good diet, you're not eating a bunch of shit and snacking and all stuff, then I feel like that would keep you in shape while you're growing. JBHRTR says, what's the importance of volume of the volume for muscle growth? I'm not sure what that question means. I'm just going to skip, I'm just going to skip that one. Sorry guys. Uh, Vince Rosetta says, what are your thoughts on all the different types of protein, fast, slow assimilation, casein, etc.? Isn't protein, protein? No, protein's not protein. Um, you have whey from concentrate, which is not as high quality as, uh, like a hydro, uh, whey isolate. Um, casein is a slower digesting proteins used for a different time. So I usually just stick to two kinds. If, if that at most I'll do two shakes a day, I have done three, but usually two shakes a day is the most right now. I'm kind of not doing any, it's all whole food. But if I do two shakes a day, I usually do one post-workout and I want that one to be the very, like a very high quality of very fast digesting. So like a hydro whey isolate. And I want to make sure it's as close to hundred percent isolate as possible. A lot of, a lot of companies will say whey isolate and they can write it legally because there's like 50% isolate, but the rest is from concentrate. Make sure you have as close to hundred percent isolate as possible. That's the first thing. So that's post-workout. And then before bed, I usually like to do a casein one. Cause it, if you make it into a pudding, it fluffs up into a lot more. So you feel like you have a big bowl of chocolate pudding, but also because with it's much slower digesting. So basically last meal of the night, if you're trying to stay lean or trying to lose weight and you just want a quick meal, I would say do uh, a scoop or two of casein with a tablespoon of peanut butter, run a little bit of water and, and kind of mix and it'll start to turn into a fluffy kind of chocolate pudding. Um, that is kind of the, that's your kind of before bed meal. So no, not all proteins are equal. Look, even it's funny you said that because when in creating a supplement company, I learned a lot about supplements and nothing is equal. Not all vitamin C is equal. And and we're talking about different protein types, but even if you talk about the same type of ingredient, they're not all the same. Like um, let's take creatine. For example, you can get regular creatine monohydrate or you can get Creapure, which is a branded creatine monohydrate. One is going to be safer for use than other. One is going to be a cleaner, a cleaner than, cleaner ingredient than another. Uh, let's take something we're not even making. Let's take a vitamin C company X can make vitamin C company. Y can make vitamin C 
company X's vitamin C could, could be sourced from a completely shitty source uh, and not really contain the amount of vitamin C in it that should be in it. And company Y could have a, a more branded, solid, safe, tested uh, vitamin C that has all the vitamin C in it that you that it says it does. It's important to find reputable, reputable companies that are telling you exactly what's in their product, what's on the label is in the product. And make sure you read the label because the label will tell you not all creatine is created equal, not all beta alanine is created equal, not all fucking vitamin C is created equal. There are cheaper, cheaper sources and there are more expensive sources. And some companies will use the cheaper sources and just write vitamin C. And you're not going to know the difference. But there are a lot of branded ingredients that will tell you this is a branded ingredient for a reason. It's, it's tried, it's tested, it's proven. There's a lot of research behind it. And it works the way it's supposed to work. So just remember, it's just like, and it goes the same thing for food. Not all ingredients are equal. Not all foods are equal. Beef is not beef right? You have grass-fed beef, you have grain-fed beef, you have grass-fed, grass-finished, you have grass-fed, grain-finished. Eggs are not all the same. You have pasteurized eggs, organic eggs, uh, omega-3 eggs, regular shitty grocery store eggs. There's just like, you have a lot of options and it's hard for the consumer because you have to learn and try and educate yourself on what is the best uh, of the best. So you know exactly what you're putting in your body. And sometimes you may make the decision, well, this creatine monohydrate's not branded and it doesn't have a lot of research behind it and it's generic, but I don't care. It's good enough for me. And that's fine. I've used generic creatine, but somebody else might say, well, you know, I take this shit pretty seriously and I want, I want a creatine that's been uh, branded and, and has research claim to claims to back it up and it's all pure. And so it's just kind of that, that's the way it is, right? Some people are going to eat, um, farmed fish and they're gonna be like well i don't give a shit it's still 30 grams of protein in this fish i don't care i just want the fish i don't care if there's any impurities or toxicity the toxicity level is higher it doesn't matter to me it's the protein i just want the protein and other people are going to say well i don't want the toxicity that comes with farm-raised fish i want wild-caught fish so these are all things you have to learn about and these are all choices you have to make as you're going through your bodybuilding career and you're not going to learn them all at once. I didn't know half the shit when I was starting out. I thought fucking tuna was tuna and I thought vitamin C was vitamin C and I thought protein was protein. But as you progress in your career and as you watch more videos and read more books and read more studies and learn more and ask more people, you're going to start to learn that there are variations of all ingredients and all foods and all everything. There's, there's lots of different variations. So you have to, pay attention and, and try and learn as you go. Uh, UV Gruwal says for fat loss while keeping size, is it more effective to simply reduce calories or manipulate macros? Uh, you can reduce calories, but if you reduce calories too much, your body's going to become very stagnant. I feel like manipulating macros is a good way to lose fat without losing muscle. And you also don't have to be in as big a deficit. So I feel like you can kind of trick your body, if for lack of a better term, you can trick your body into burning fat without burning too much muscle. And that's by manipulating macros, that's another way of just, you know, if you say carb cycling is a way of manipulating macros. So if you go back a couple of questions, they just kind of stated that I feel like carb cycling or fat cycling is the best kind of way to burn fat and hold on to your muscle. So if you're just trying to shed weight and you don't care about keeping muscle or anything. Yeah. You can just cut your calories by like, you know, a thousand calorie deficit and then you're just going to lose weight. You probably lose muscle in the process or whatever, but you might not care. You just want to lose weight. But if you want to burn fat and not just lose weight, you want to burn fat and change the way your body looks. I feel like macro manipulation is the best way to do it or very, very small decreases in calories. But even then only that will work to a certain extent, right? So that's why I feel like macro manipulation works a little better because if you decrease calories, you'll start losing weight, you're losing weight, and you decrease and decrease and decrease and you keep losing fat and you might not be losing a lot of muscle. You're just still losing fat, but eventually your body will stop at a, at a certain point. And then that's where you're going to have to start to manipulate your macros. So you could also use both strategies depending on how aggressive you want to be. Anton Nayo Boyanov says, 
how to group the muscles in a four, one training split. I don't know, easily. Uh, I would put legs and back as far apart as possible. So I would go, if you're four, one training split, I would go, uh, legs Monday, chest and shoulders Tuesday, arms Wednesday. And then actually, no, I wouldn't do that. I'd probably do legs Monday, chest and shoulders Tuesday, back uh, Wednesday, and then arms on Thursday. I wouldn't want to do arms before back because my biceps would probably still be sore for back. So you'd have to give yourself a day between legs and back. You're probably better off doing a 3-1 training split, to be honest with you, because then you can go. Um, what I would do is legs, chest, and shoulders, arms, or sorry, legs, chest, arms, day off, and then I would go back and shoulders, and then another day off. So you'd have a five-day split total with two days off. But if it's a 4-1, that's really the only way you can do it is uh, legs, chest, shoulders, legs one day, chest, shoulders the next day, back the day after that, and then arms to finish the fourth day. Kieran Brotherston says, good way to get back into the gym and structured life from being away from it for a year. Make a plan. Make a plan and fucking start. There's no... You know, I hate the I hate the term easing into it. I mean, you can. I'm not saying you can't, but that's not the way I do it. Like, I don't I don't like easing into it because if I'm not doing something 100%, I feel like I'm not doing it right. So, if you've been away for a while and you're like, okay, I got to get back on track. What do I do? Okay, I'm going to cut out the junk food first, but I'm not going to like, I'm not going to change everything. I'm just going to cut out like eating McDonald's and shit, and then everything else will stay the same. Um. I feel like it, you're not a hundred percent committed. You're not going to do it as well. You're not going to stick to it. So I kind of, that's, I've always been a believer in a hundred percent commitment, a hundred percent effort. So if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. Okay. So I want to get back into it. Okay. I'm cutting out all these foods. Uh, I'm going to eat six times a day or five times a day, whatever your schedule permits or seven, if you have to. Um, these are my macros. I've got them all set up. Uh, this is, this is the cardio I'm doing. This is the training I'm doing. Kind of put it all down, write all down and then just start one day at a time. And don't look at the big goal. Like let's say you want to put on 20 pounds of muscle or 30 pounds of muscle, or you want to lose 50 pounds of fat. Don't formulate the plan with the ultimate goal in mind. But after you do that, forget about it and just try and nail every day. The key to being great, as a competitor and the key to really sticking to this thing as a lifestyle is just nailing every day because every day you're going to make a million different choices about what to eat and where to go and if you should train and how hard do you want to train and are you going to be a heavy day or a light day and there's going to be a million choices for you every day to make. So at the end of every day, when you fucking put your head down on the pillow of the night, you're like, okay, I nailed today. Today was good. I'm going to go to sleep. I'm going to get some good fucking rest tomorrow. I'm going to wake up. And then what? Okay, what's the list for today? I got to nail this fucking list. A, B, C, D, E. All these fucking things got to be nailed today. That's all I'm going to focus on. And sometimes you can even break it down for the hour. Okay, this hour I got to do this. Okay, now I got to worry about my next meal. I'm just going to worry about my next meal. Get in my next meal. Okay, then I'm going to worry about my training. I worry about my training. Get my training in. Make sure it's fucking awesome. I'm going to get home and get my food in. That's my next goal. Okay, after that, then what? Okay, I got two more meals for the night. Got to make sure I get those two fucking meals in. This is a thing that's playing in my fucking head every single day. If this list of the thing you have to do in that day is playing all fucking day long. As soon as I wake up in the morning, okay, I better take out some chicken because chicken's frozen. I'm not going to have any food for the day if I don't thaw out the chicken. I got to take out a couple steaks too because I know I need two steak meals. It just, once you start in the morning, it's just there. So I suggest you take a day fill out a proper, like create a proper diet for yourself, create a proper training split, and then just start executing every single morning and you wake up. Okay. Today, this is my list. I made it yesterday. This is what I got to do. I got to make sure these foods are ready for me because I'm going to knock them all down one by one. Or if you work a long time, then prep them the night before, make sure all your food's ready. Make sure you got your shit ready. It's just, it just takes some planning, man. It's, it's not hard to do. It takes some planning. It takes some effort and it takes a constant conscious thought about what you have to do it's not if you're not prepared you will fuck up i promise you that if you're not prepared if you haven't thought out your day 
if you haven't thought it like this morning, I woke up, I'm like, I took out two steaks and two, two, uh, uh, two pieces of fish. Cause I'm like, okay, today I'm going to have, I have two fish meals and two steak meals. They're in the freezer. I got to take them out. Got to make sure they're thawed. It was the first thing I did in the morning. Cause I know if they're not thawed, I'm not going to fucking eat. I'm going to go, I'm going to eat some other shit. I'll have a protein shake, which is not horrible, but it's not the same. Or I'm going to go out to eat, which is even worse. So you have to be on point and just you formulate a plan and stick to it every day and um, make adjustments as you go. But don't, you know, I, I don't really believe in the easing into it because it just it never, it never, I've never seen it pan out well. Um, Nano Vapor says, what are your views on doing a high test only cycle? 1,000 to 1,250 milligram range considering all the adverse effects of the harsher compounds. Do you think this would be sufficient to put on lots of mass without having the toxicity issues of other compounds? Um, I think doing 1,000 to 1,250 milligrams of test will cause you other issues like high blood pressure and um, I'm not sure, like other other. I could say you'd have high blood pressure for sure. I'm not going to say what else you would have, but my personal belief is it's not worth it to just do test alone. I don't think you'll get the same amount of results as you would if you had a better stack. So I'll tell you what I do personally, my personal opinion, if I'm going to do, if I want to do a cycle and try and make sure I'm not affecting my health too much is I pick two or three compounds that have very low side effects so my usual is like i'll pick like um test master masteron and uh primo okay very low side effects at low doses so i'll do take those three and i'll do them at low doses so i'm not going to name actual doses but they're lower doses than you would imagine and that's my my clean cycle because i feel like those are three drugs that don't cause a lot of side effects. And I prefer those at, I prefer my test, like half of what you said with the other two uh, compounds involved. And I feel like I'd get more benefit and I'd gain better res- I'd have better results that way rather than just doing one compound and maximizing it to the point where it might be hurting me because you know, 1250 is high. So it's a thousand and uh, you could cause yourself more problems than you need. Whereas doing two or three compounds at a lower uh, at a lower dose would probably be more beneficial for me the way I do things. Uh, instance SSS says how long and how aggressive in terms of your deficit in cardio, will you be doing a mini cut inside your off season? I don't do mini cuts. Uh, I have my off season diet and I do it. And then when I see myself getting a little fat, I don't do a mini cut. I'll just reduce the calories a little bit. So if I, let's say my calories for the day are 3,500 and I want, I want them in the off season. So they're up at 4,000 or 4,500. If they're at 4,500, I see myself starting to get fat and I'm just like, okay, every week I'm gaining weight, but I'm not gaining good weight. I'm just getting fatter and fatter and fatter. I don't do a mini cut. I just go back to 4,300 or 4,200 calories and let my body kind of burn off the excess itself. Uh, I don't all of a sudden just say, oh, okay, I'm going to do it. Cause I feel like a mini cut is doing like, I feel like doing a mini cut, depending on your term, what you define as a mini cut is actually kind of shooting yourself in the foot. You're taking two steps forward and one step back. And I don't feel like it's necessary. I feel like if you have a proper diet set up, then you don't have to do mini cuts. You just kind of keep growing slowly through the off season. Uh, how was your legal weed that you and Paul, J, uh, Bay says, how was your legal weed that you and Paul got? Are you enjoying weed more now versus when you were younger? And do you find its effects in the gym affect your results? Palumbo once said THC aromatizes test. Okay. I don't know about that. Palumbo is probably right, but I don't, I have never smoked weed and gone to the gym. <laughs> so I don't know. I know a lot of you have messaged me and said, you know, you feel way better when you smoke a joint and you go train, you feel more focused from where this, from where that it wouldn't, I don't feel like it would do that for me. It would probably just kind of, my mind would be off somewhere else. So I, I don't smoke and then go to the gym. In fact, that weed that me and Paul picked up was not for me. <laughs> it was actually, I just wanted to go to the store and check it out with him, but it was, uh, it was just kind of to see what the store was about and everything. It was my first time in a weed store. 
Uh, I do a little bit of CBD here and there. And, uh, sorry, not CBD. I do a little bit of edibles here and there just to sleep at night. Uh, I might smoke a vape just to sleep at night. It's usually just half an hour before bed. I don't, I don't really, I'm not, I don't want to be known as a weed smoker because it would just be a lie. Funny Chris Choi says, can you give my channel? Oh, no, I can't. Well, okay, Kirk. Kranakin, a shout out. Kranakin, check out Kranakin. Uh, Mac and Roll says, Fluid Abed, what's your take, opinion on reverse bench grip, bench press? Does it work too dangerous? Actually, I think it's great. It's in one of my programs. Reverse grip bench press is uh, very good for triceps. Actually, I haven't done those in a while. Now that you said that, I might want to start adding them. I'm trying to rehab my tricep. Uh, reverse grip bench is actually very good. I, I feel a great contraction in my chest, but also is uh, a great contraction in my triceps. So I, I think it's, I don't think it's too dangerous. If you really, if you really want to be the, if you really want to do it without worrying about anything, I do them on the Smith machine. Just do it on the Smith machine takes the danger right out of it, but you get all the benefits of it. Anyways, to test if a GH is real or fake. And it says except for labs. Uh, the only way I would know is labs. Otherwise, just the feeling of it. You know, GH, it's going to make you a little tired. Uh, so you're going to sleep better. It's going to cause a little bit of water retention, but more so in the muscle. So you should feel rounder looking. Um, it's going to, if, if you're new to it, it could cause like an ache in your bones and your ache in your hands. Um, it's going to help increase your pumps. Your pumps will probably be better, but mostly that's a, uh, Mostly that's a side effect of gaining like the water retention from it. So you're going to get better pumps. Um, it might help you stay a little leaner. That's, I feel like people kind of stress that too much. Like, oh, you can eat pizza, bro, and stay fucking shredded. No, that's not true. Uh, I don't know. Maybe if you're taking 30 IUs a day, but I've never gone even close to that. I think the most I ever took was like 15. And even then you still have to watch your diet or else you're going to get fat. So I, I, it might help burn a little fat, but I don't think it just keeps you shredded for no reason. Um, but yeah, you can look out for those signs, but I don't think there's any way to really, really know hundred percent unless, uh, you know, you had it tested. Mark Stevenson, seven, seven, five said, what is your take on bodybuilding at older, older ages for men? I am 46 and have a goal to earn my Canadian master's pro card. Uh, I don't see why not. I feel like the master's master's class is there for a reason. If you're 46 and you look good and you feel like you're training hard. Uh, there's no reason. I feel like as an older bodybuilder, you just have to learn that we can't do some of the things that we did when we were 25. Uh, you know, I used to go in and squat four plates after doing like one or two warm up sets. Now I have to warm up with like three or four or five warm up sets. Um, so, you know, just certain changes like that. But I don't think there's any reason. I think if you've been training for a long time and you've built a base, I think you just keep training. You have to alter your training a little bit, maybe more machines, maybe not as heavy but I don't see why we can't keep bodybuilding into our fifties, sixties, seventies. Um, Steve Bocelli says, what has been one of the most influential books you have ever read? I just actually was talking about this the other day. There's a book called the power of now by Eckhart Tolle. And if that's how you pronounce his last name, or it's Eckhart Tolle. Um, it's, it's for people with anxiety and it's to help um, it's to help you learn how to be present instead of always worrying about what's happening tomorrow or what's going to happen down the road or what's gonna, what happened yesterday or it kind of teaches you to stay present and live in the present. And, and that's part of people with anxiety's biggest issues are always off somewhere else worrying about some shit that's not actually happening in the moment. So anyway, long answer to a short question. Sorry, guys, but uh, yeah, Eckhart Tolle, if you have anxiety, check it out. It's uh, E-C-K-H-I-A-R-T, Eckhart, and the last name's T-O-L-L-E, and the book is called The Power of Now. Um, Curry Fitness says, should you not do your first nationals on what? Sorry, guys, I'm trying to figure this question out. Should you not do your first national on junior nat show until you win a regional or local level, or maybe do it for the experience or get better if qualified? I don't believe in doing anything for the experience, except if you're getting ready for the Olympia. 
or the Arnold. Okay. If, if you're getting ready for the Olympia or the Arnold, you're allowed to say, I just want to do it for the experience. If you're starting out and you want to be a competitive bodybuilder, plan yourself, plan your strategy accordingly. Don't do something just for the experience. If it's going to help you qualify to the next level, you don't have to win, but if it's going to help you qualify to a, to a next level or get ahead somehow, then there's no point. I always get frustrated by people who, for example, they do one level and the second level, they qualify the second level for the third level, but they didn't win the second level. So they want to go back and win. I promise you, if you turn pro, no one's going to give a shit where you placed at your second regional show or some shit. No one cares. So just do the shows that are going to get you to your ultimate goal. If your ultimate goal is to win a pro card, don't fucking worry about what you did first, second, third level on the way there. Just do the shows that are going to get you to that pro qualifier so you can get your pro card and move on with your life. If your goal is to win every show you do, then yeah, and just keep going back and doing level one shows until you win it. Like, I don't know, that, that seems like a, if that's your goal, that's your goal. But like I said, if your goal is to get ahead and get your pro card and move on, then only do the shows that are going to get you qualified and move you ahead. And, and there's no point in doing any other ones. Thomas Foley, 2019 says, eat or not eat after, after nighttime cardio before bed. Uh, eat. I think if you're, I used to do that. I do my cardio uh, after meal five, before meal six. So in the thought process, and some of you might laugh and think this isn't true or it is true, I don't know. But the, my thought process was always, I would do my fasted cardio in the morning and then I would train after two or three meals and then I would have two or three meals. And then after meal five, I would do another 45 minutes of cardio. And then meal six would just be protein and fat, no carbs. So my thought process is the second cardio burned off all the carbs for the day and I'm going to bed without any carbs in my system or, or at least reduced uh, glycogen. And that's going to help me burn more fat through the night. Now that might sound funny. <coughs> it might sound funny, but I got really shredded doing that. So if you guys want to know again, I do my cardio in the morning with just essential amino acids, which I consider fasted. And then I would have breakfast, second meal and third meal or second meal, whatever, have two or three meals, do your training session, train with weights, come home, have meal four and five, and then do cardio again and then have meal six and go to bed. And that was my best strategy for burning fat. Neil's baby says, can you grow while off cycle? Uh, I believe you can but obviously not as fast. So, you know, you're still training. Sorry, guys. You're still training. You're still lifting weights. You're still going to, like, I still, like, I'm in TRT mode right now. You know, I was like 200 milligrams of test a week. It's nothing. It's not like, it's just basically keeping my natural levels, which don't, don't aren't there anymore. It's keeping me at that level. Um, I still go in and squat four plates. Uh, for 10 reps, you're, you're not going to tell me that that squatting that four plates is not helping you build quad mass. So yes, you can still build muscle as long as you're eating accordingly and training your fucking ass off. Jay Warren fit says, do y'all's RBC hermocrit hemocrit get elevated? Do you donate blood regularly? I, um, I have donated blood the last twice this year, twice in 2019. Uh, to keep my red blood cell count down. I don't suggest doing it because I said so. And I don't suggest doing it because your gym bro said so, because I have heard those stories. And don't just do it just because you think you're, you know, oh, I took some gear. I better go give fucking blood. Don't do that shit. Go to the doctor, get blood work, see what your actual fucking numbers are, and let your doctor tell you, yeah, you know what? Your your blood cell numbers are pretty high. You should go get, you should go donate blood. They They will tell you that. But don't do it just because you did a cycle. You're like, oh, I did a cycle. I better go. Get don't do that shit. Find out your numbers. Look, I'm a firm believer. People message me all the time and say, oh, I hurt my bicep. What do you think I should do? Oh, I, I feel this way. What do you think I should do? I'm a firm believer in diagnosis, okay? Because I've been misdiagnosed so many times, okay? If you, have a, you hurt your bicep or some shit, get an ultrasound. Figure out what's wrong, and then you can figure out a plan of attack for fixing it after that. If you did a cycle and you're worried about your blood, red blood cell count, go get some blood work and it will tell you what your blood cell, red blood cell count is. And then you can give blood if you have to. And, and I'm not saying, oh, we're at the one hour mark. Um, 
I'm not saying this for the person who asked the question specifically. This is kind of for a lot of different people, a lot of different scenarios I've seen. Just because you're on gear doesn't mean your red blood cell count is definitely going to be elevated. So it doesn't mean just because you did a cycle, you should run out and donate blood. What you should do is if you're doing cycles, you should every three, four months or every six months maximum get blood work done. And your blood work will indicate when you should go and get uh, and get some and donate some blood and get yourself into, back into a healthy range. Okay, so okay, guys, we crush an hour. Uh, hopefully, you guys got some good answers there and good and it helped you guys out a little bit. Sorry, part two took so so long uh, from part one, but there there is some other stuff on the YouTube channel uh, that you guys have been watching in between. But um, listen, I always appreciate you guys' support. I appreciate you guys asking about the supplement company. We're really excited. Things are moving a little slower than we expected because of all the different compliance issues that we have to meet. Lawyers have to look at everything. Lawyers have to sign off on the labels and the ingredients and just a lot, a lot of different things that weren't accounted for. Uh, But we're working as hard as we can and we're still hoping for early new year launch, maybe February 1st. And I hope you guys are all on board for that because uh, we're going to need you to try this out and, and tell me what you really think. Cause I feel like we put together, together something pretty special. It's very, very well-rounded pre-workout, uh, some really good pump products. Um, a really good pump product that we're calling bloodshot, which I love myself. My, my wife came up with it and, uh, the intro workout is exactly the intro workout. I, I, I formulated it myself. It's exactly what I wanted. And uh, we have our essential aminos, which is a full nine, not all nine essential aminos for when you're doing cardio or for if you just like to sip on aminos like during the day kind of thing. But we're really, really excited. I'm, I'm really happy that you guys are on board. I thank you all for the sales. Uh, this Black Friday, you all ordered shirts and stuff. They'll all be going out early next week. Um, if you haven't checked out the store, it's www.hostile.com. Uh, we have all our clothing in there for now but soon it's going to switch over to supplements and clothing. So anyway, guys, I just appreciate all the support. I appreciate you guys following along and I appreciate you guys asking the questions and I hope you guys are benefiting from them. So thank you very much until next time, subscribe, share, and uh, get your fucking meals in because don't miss anything. Training, diet, sleep, it all matters. We'll talk, uh, we'll talk soon guys. Train hard.